Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. February is Black History Month. In a moment, we'll have information about special programs put together by the Columbus Metropolitan Library. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including Governor Mike DeWine's State of the State Address efforts by local school districts to improve school safety, and changes in voting laws that will be apparent for the May primary. The Super Bowl is less than 12 hours away. It's the first one in Ohio since sports betting was legalized. I'll talk with Derek Longmire, executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, here's Kate Burdett. I'm talking today with Dorcas Taylor-Jones. She's the communications manager for the Columbus Metropolitan Library, which, by the way, is celebrating a pretty big anniversary this year, 150 years of Columbus's Metropolitan Library being in our community and contributing to it. And no better time to chat about the activities that are going on there this month in honor of Black History Month. Hi, Dorcas. Thanks for joining us today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. You have a very full calendar for the remainder of February, don't you? We do. Uh, And you mentioned our um, sesquicentennial, which is a fancy way of saying 150 years. Uh, We have a full calendar throughout the year. So really excited to share with Central Ohio the things that we have planned this year and in particular for Black History Month, which started on February the 1st. Of course. And I understand this year there are both in-person and virtual activities as we all get used to that new normal they're talking about. That's right. That's right. We have a little bit of something for everyone, whether you want to participate virtually with some experiences or you want to come into one of our 23 locations to participate in an event or program. We have author talks. We have um, dance presentations. We have poetry workshops. We have exhibits and panel conversations. There is, uh, we like to think a little bit for everyone. I'm looking over the the pages of listings here for all of the different branches, and you're right. There's hip-hop dancing. There's an Urban Strings community concert, and that's a youth string ensemble, isn't it? That is. We are so glad to be able to partner with them um, really multiple times over the course of Black History Month. And then we'll have um, our signature concert at the end of the month um, with Urban Strings. They're always a really popular um, event and presentation that they bring to the library. And of course, in honor of Black History Month, they will be performing music from popular African-American composers And that sounds like it's going to be a really interesting cultural presentation. We definitely invite as many people as possible to come out and share in the experience with Urban Strings. They do an amazing job. I can only wish that I was as talented as I am at my age, uh, (laughs) let alone as they are as talented as they are at their young age. They have um, some amazing artistry. Um, to present. And yes, like you mentioned, they'll be sharing from popular African-American composers and arrangers. Um, You may hear some music that you didn't know perhaps was associated with an African-American composer or arranger. You may hear some music that you'll want to investigate a little bit further, which of course you can do at any one of our locations because we uh, house more than just books. We have music as well. And I see here that a few of the branches are also featuring an exhibit on the Underground Railroad in Central Ohio, which I I feel like every 
Every time that comes up, I learn something new about Central Ohio's connection to the Underground Railroad. I think it is actually one of the most fascinating pieces of our history. I think many times people may know about um, areas to the south of us, like Cincinnati, who are a little closer to the river and their ties to the Underground Railroad. But for those who were attempting to escape slavery, they still had to come north to get further away from um, areas where there was slavery still in place. And so Central Ohio was among those places that had stopped. So, yeah, there will be this exhibit that will actually travel to four of our branches um, over the course of Black History Month. And each time that they're going to be um, that exhibit will be showcased, there will actually also be some discussion from some experts uh, in this particular area to talk a little bit more about stops on the Underground Railroad that you actually can still find here in Central Ohio. Dorcas Taylor-Jones is with the Columbus Metropolitan Library, and we're talking Black History Month. Activities, concerts, dancing, in-person, and virtual events, and these are all free of charge for attendees, correct? That everything is absolutely free for everyone who wants to stop in and visit us. We encourage as many people as possible who are able to come and visit us. And of course, you can look online at columbuslibrary.org to find out more about what we're doing, where we're doing it. I would imagine when looking at undertaking a, a plan for activities like Black History Months uh, at the library, it's probably overwhelming at first. How, how would you even begin to narrow down? Did you have like a focus or an area you wanted to see more exposed about it? How, how did that go? Well, the library has been working with a lot of different community partners and organizations over several years to develop relationships, to bring in programming for Black History Month. Now, having said that, we do start in the fall of the previous year. So, you know, around September, we're starting to have those conversations about what is it we would like to do, what kind of events we would like to showcase, who are some of the organizations and partnerships that we've had in the past that might want to come back. So you're right, it is um, an undertaking, but it is a relatively well-oiled machine because we have um, been making a point to make Black History Month um, an important part of our programming over the course of the past few years. Um, And so we want to make sure that our community knows that we reflect the various cultures and communities that are in central Ohio, even as it continues to grow and expand. And Black History Month is just one of those ways that we do that. I see here that you have an expert from Ohio Wesleyan University who's going to be talking about redlining. And I had never heard of that. And of course, it's one of the many things about Black history and Black culture that I think everyone should learn about. Um, Tell me a little bit, if you can, about how that kind of became a part of the presentation that the Columbus Metropolitan Library is adding this month? So the um, there will be another exhibit. We talked a little bit about the Underground, the Re- Underground Railroad exhibit that we'll be having. There is another exhibit that we are going to begin hosting in the middle of February, February 16th through March 15th, called Undesigned the Red Line. We're doing that in partnership with the YWCA. Um, and it's actually a traveling exhibit. So Um, The library isn't the first place to have the exhibit, but we are really excited to be able to showcase the exhibit for our customers. And so redlining was a practice where 
maps were drawn around areas to um, to restrict where people of color, particularly black people, could live. Um, and and this ha- this was a, a practice that was happening in the early um, 1900s. But the challenge is even when it stopped, um, when development happened in in particular cities, including Columbus and, and the central Ohio area, because those communities tended to be uh, people, largely people of color, black people, structural racism and, and, and other economic opportunities tended not to find those areas in the same way. So um, though that practice still has um, effect and impact on our, our communities today. And so that conversation with um, John Krieger um, and some researchers and advocates will discuss that in a lot more detail. There is always something new to learn. And during this Black History Month, I urge everyone to get out to their nearest branch of the Columbus Metropolitan Library and to learn and expand their horizons about Black history. Absolutely. And I like to say that um, history is both past and present. And so that's why you see such a blend of various activities that we're having. Some of it is a reference to what has happened in the past, some of what um, hasn't always been positive. But there are also um, many great things to talk about that are a part of Black history and Black culture today that are positive. And so I think um, it is important, as you stated, for people to come and be educated and also have fun and engage and learn something new about um, a culture, whether you're a part of it or not. It is helpful to all of us to learn, to be educated, and and to grow. Columbus Metropolitan Library has a robust schedule of events, exhibits, and activities, both virtual and in person, for everyone in the community to attend, to experience free of charge. During Black History Month, you can go to columbuslibrary.org or check out any of their social media platforms and get more information about that. Dorcas Taylor-Jones with the Columbus Metropolitan Library, I so appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for joining us on Columbus Perspective. The future depends on teachers. Every day, teachers are shaping our tomorrows, starting their students on journeys that will change the course of history. Right now, In a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who will make preventing pandemics their life's work, sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who will help combat climate change, and generating possibilities for a student who will be the first in their family to graduate college. It all starts with teachers who meet challenges with creativity, who reinvent education for the future, who work towards a school system that lifts up every child regardless of race, income, or zip code, and to enable the full potential of our students, our communities, and our country. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Shape the future. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. DeWine outlines his plans for the future of Ohio. We break down the three big issues he says he wants to focus on in the budget. And J.D. Vance introduces his first legislation as a U.S. senator. What he says needs to be done to crack down on catalytic converter theft. Plus, the law has been passed. The law has been changed. We need to understand that as election officials. We need to educate our voters. What you can expect next time you go to the polls and what's being done to make sure every voter is on the same page. Good morning and thank you for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start this morning with a breakdown of Governor DeWine's State of the State address. In it, he outlined his proposed budget and how it will impact you and your family. The three big takeaways focused on taxes, mental health, and education. Let's start with education. But tragically, today, 40% of all Ohio third grade students are not proficient in reading. 40%. So today, I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy and on the way we teach reading in the state of Ohio. Not all literacy curriculums are created equal. And sadly, many Ohio students do not have access to the most effective reading curriculum. So in our budget, we're making sure that all Ohio children have access to curriculum that is aligned with the evidence-based approaches of the science of reading. Our budget directs the Ohio Department of Education to lay out a plan informed by research and evidence to ensure that all Ohio students have the best opportunity to master the skill of reading. Further, our budget directs them to help students in our public, our STEM, and our charter schools by providing funding to each school to pay for curriculum based on the science of reading and for professional development for those teachers needing it in that curriculum. Governor DeWine also announced plans to expand access to charter schools. The governor told us mental health is one of his top priorities in the next term. Here's what he thinks needs to happen to get every Ohioan the help they need. The budget that I'm releasing today is centered on, one, building a community care system that increases prevention efforts. Two, offering better crisis response services and treatment options. Three, growing our behavioral health workforce. And four, focusing on much-needed research and innovation. In this budget, you will see growing investments to expand what's working. And now we're going to take them to all 88 counties, including the following. Treatment and counseling services delivered either in person or through telehealth visits to people directly in their homes and in their workplaces. Suicide prevention to end the needless loss of our brothers and our sisters. 
support for our youngest Ohioans so they can have a great start to life and get help at the earliest sign of a behavioral health need. Expansion of the crisis care system and the new 988 hotline so fewer Ohioans end up in the emergency room. And increased access to state hospitals and private psychiatric hospitals to ease stress on families, emergency departments, courts, and jails. Further, we're proposing a one-time investment to expand the capacity of our pediatric behavioral health care system to address the shortage of behavioral health professionals serving children and to expand critical facilities. The governor also had some welcome news to many families with a promise to push for a cut in some taxes. To ease the financial burden on new parents, our budget asks you to repeal the state sales tax on critical infant supplies such as diapers, wipes, cribs, car seats, strollers, and safety equipment. <laughs> Further, I'm also asking you to enact a $2,500 per child state tax deduction. Our budget will make available child care for more working families. Many Ohio parents must choose between taking on full-time, full-year work or staying unemployed or underemployed because they cannot afford the high cost of child care. Through our budget, 15,000 more Ohio children and working families will have access to high-quality child care, child care that will help them start kindergarten with the skills needed to succeed. Following DeWine's State of the State address, the Democrats gave a response. Here's part of it focusing on the economy. The baseline why we have low staffing issues is because we have low wage issues. It's the low wages, um, not competitive wages for folks. That is the first step towards that. Um, again, um, we could argue, I could argue, that not allowing families to make those critical personal decisions about how and when or if to start a family will actually drive workers out of Ohio, not bring them to Ohio. So I think we have some more talking to do about that. 10TV's Kevin Landers also talked one-on-one -on -one with House Minority Leader Allison Russo after DeWine's speech. The governor mentioned a lot of things about education, about improving uh, safety. Was there anything then that Democrat side of you that you felt he didn't address that he should have? Well, I think for us, you know, the discussion about education, we were pleased to hear about the funding of the Cup-Patterson plan or the Fair School funding plan. Uh, not as pleased to hear his discussion of a pretty massive expansion of voucher programs. Uh, so we will take a look at that. I anticipate that that will be hotly debated uh, during the budget discussions. Uh, you know, there was also talk about school safety. I think some good things in there, physical safety, but really not addressing the root cause of uh, some of the safety concerns at school, and that is increased gun violence in our communities. Um, so we will be continuing to have those discussions and pushing those issues forward but otherwise I think there was a lot of alignment so you didn't so there's nothing in there that you felt he he waxed over or didn't address that you felt as a, as a Democrat platform that you wanted to see him push through well you know 
I, I did like that he talked about, you know, continued focus on maternal and infant mortality. But again, you know, we know that in order to really have successful outcomes in that space, it's more than just home visiting. Um, and it's also about targeted resources in communities. So again, the devil is in the details and seeing what those programs will look like. I will say, you know, one of the other things that I was disappointed I didn't hear a lot of discussion in was uh, it, there was a lot of talk about nursing home care, but the vast majority of care delivered to our older adults actually happens in communities, and we have a shortage of workforce. Uh, they are underpaid, those personal care assistants and those community services for our older adults. He talked about mental health and improving mental health, but not a lot of details about how you're going to retain people, how you're going to encourage and incentivize people to join those forces. You can expand all the hospitals you want, but if you don't have the people to care for these children that are struggling, what does Ohio do? I don't know if the Democrats have a solution for that. Well, we, we know that uh, the behavioral and mental health care workforce is a huge issue, not only in the state of Ohio, but really this is a national issue. Um, so this is not going to be a quick solution. This is going to have to be a long-term investment and plan uh, that likely we will not see the results of until after many of us leave here in the legislature. Are you willing to work with Republicans? There's a division among the Republican Party about who should be in control. And the Democrats are the minority. How much of your agenda can you really get through in a, in a state house where it's a supermajority? Well, listen, I think that there are lots of areas where we have alignment and agreement or can come to some sort of alignment and agreement. And that's really what I think the Democrats are going to be focused on this General Assembly is finding those places like we have always done. It takes 50 votes to get anything through this General Assembly in our cha chamber. And I think we've proven that you can get to 50 votes even with the division amongst the Republican caucus, but it's going to take Republicans and Democrats. In DeWine's address, he also promised to offer funding for school resource officers. Oftentimes, there's a trust that gets built between students and the officer that would not otherwise occur, but for that officer being in the school every single day. In the proposed budget, both public and state schools will be able to afford school resource officers, SROs as they're called for short, if a district requests that. But this does raise the question, can all law enforcement agencies staff those positions within our schools? That's the challenge in Delaware County. TNTV's Lacey Crisp explains why. Having the kids know that we're there, uh, in addition to keeping them safe, to be a mentor, to be an educator, to be someone they can trust and go to. Delaware County Sheriff's Deputy Doug Simula has spent 17 years in the schools as a school resource officer and says he loves being able to interact with the kids. The Delaware Area Career Center is just one of nearly a half dozen schools in the county that are asking the sheriff's office for more school resource officers. Sheriff Martin tells me he's looking to hire at least six deputies to fill those positions. Well, yeah, that's been a demand from our local school districts. I mean, uh, we have a great working relationship with our local school districts. They see the benefit of the school resource officers. In a statement, a representative from Olentangy Schools said we can confirm that Olentangy Tangy Schools plans to add three additional school resource officers next school year. This will allow for a dedicated school resource officer at each of our middle schools while still providing support at the elementary level. Parents we spoke with explained why they like having SROs on campus. 
impact and I think really bridges a, a communication gap, a comfortability gap, a relationship gap that may exist if you never interact with people except in maybe difficult circumstances. I believe we need to have them in there. In a recent community survey, the Delaware County Sheriff's Office conducted 88% say SROs enhance school safety and reduce violent crime, which is why Martin will increase the SRO unit from 11 to 17 by the beginning of the next school year. Well, we think our school resource officers have had a very positive impact on reducing crime. Sometimes you don't know what you're uh, preventing. In Delaware, Lacey Crisp, 10TV News. And when looking at other districts, Columbus City Schools ended its contact with Columbus Division of Police and the SRO program. Instead, it has its own security department. A second person was killed by a wrong-way driver in a matter of weeks. In this latest incident, a victim was a Central Ohio mother of three killed in Pickaway County. ODOT tells us about the new technology being tested on our roads to help detect wrong-way drivers. And we've been telling you about the problem of stolen catalytic converters. Now our coverage is prompting a push for change in Washington, D.C. We'll break down the proposed Parts Act. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Grace Gostad. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. There's a push in Washington, D.C. to tackle an issue 10TV has been reporting on for months. We're talking about catalytic converter thefts. Senator J.D. Vance partnered with three other senators to introduce what's called the PARTS Act. PARTS is an acronym for Preventing Auto Recycling Thefts. This legislation would require new vehicles, catalytic converters, to have a traceable identification number. It would also make the theft of catalytic converters a criminal offense. We talked with Senator Vance about the bill and whether he thinks it's going to get passed into law. The one good thing about this legislation in in divided Washington, it's very hard to get anything done, of course, without Democrats participating. Uh, I'm, of course, a Republican, but we've got a couple of Democratic folks who are also um, co-sponsoring this legislation. So I think there's a chance that on this catalytic converter issue, we can make some progress. $12 million is coming to the city of Columbus for safety upgrades. The project is going to focus on Livingston Avenue West from 18th Street to Nelson Road. Senator Sherrod Brown announced the investment is part of the infrastructure law. The money will be used to make the area safer for people who are walking or biking. A recent deadly crash is drawing attention to the dangers of wrong-way drivers. 10TV's Brian Somerville talked with ODOT about what's being done to keep drivers going in the right direction. 
I guess God needed her more than we did. He got one of his angels back. Her family wanted you to hear that quote. They wanted you to see these pictures. They wanted you to know one picture wasn't enough, so they sent me two. In one, the selfless, fantastic mother of three. The other shows that smile, that giving personality. Pictures of Tisha Nida, who died on U.S. 23 in Pickaway County at the intersection of Radcliffe Road after another driver was on 23 going the wrong way. Matt Bruning with ODOT says the chances of wrong way drivers 0.01%. However, when they occur, they're 40 times more likely to be dead. In the last six years, ODOT has pumped millions of dollars into combating the issue from multiple layers of additional signage, striping on the ramps, and in some cases, flashing lights, as shown here in a video from March of 2016, showing a driver going the wrong way at I-670 and Neal Avenue. Have we done everything we can do? Because I know we have those things in place. Mm -hmm. People are always going to look at these kind of stories, though, and say, what else can we do? Well, and we're always asking that question, too. Bruning says since 2018, there have been 464 wrong-way driver crashes with 82 deaths. The biggest factor, he says, impairment. Another factor, time. By the time I realize it, pick up my phone, call 911, get patched through. Oh, yeah, you're miles apart. Um, And who knows where that driver has gone. Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. Bruning says ODOT is always looking at new technology for wrong-way drivers. Right now, ODOT's testing new cameras that can detect wrong-way drivers and alert law enforcement. So we'll be watching for that. When you go to vote in the next election, some things are going to be different. We take a look at why those who run the local elections asked for some of those changes. And a new proposal in Washington, D.C. aims to make black history a part of every student's classroom experience. And it's coming from an Ohio lawmaker. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment... We are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. We've been following the concerns over new voting law changes that kick in for the May primary. The law takes away some forms of accepted photo ID at the polls. The law also eliminates early voting on the Monday before Election Day, eliminates most August special elections, and shortens the deadline to apply for absentee ballots by mail. We did talk with the Ohio Association of Election Officials about these changes, and they say some of them they specifically asked for. A real easy one is to allow 17-year-olds 
who are juniors in high school to serve as poll workers. Right now, the law says you can be 17, but you have to be a senior. We get a lot of poll workers from our schools, and it's great because young people are um, energetic and excited. Um, and our older poll workers, uh, our more seasoned poll workers, love having them there um, because they understand technology um, and they can lift heavy things, which is really good. We also did request that uh, the Monday of early voting um, be eliminated and that those hours that people are able to vote now on Mondays be um, put back into the voting schedule so there's no actual reduction in the number of hours that people can vote. It's really important to my folks uh, to have as much time as necessary to prepare for Tuesday. Tuesday still is the big show. Um, the majority of Ohioans still vote on Election Day. You're looking at two, two and a half million people in and um uh, presidential years. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done in those last 24 hours. The other change we requested um, that was really important to us was to move the deadline for requesting an absentee ballot. Truly, if you request an absentee ballot at noon on Saturday, it is very, very, very unlikely that you're going to receive that ballot in the mail in enough time to vote it and get it back to us in time to be counted. So we ask that they move that deadline back to about a week before the election to allow the mail plenty of time to get folks their ballot. They can look at it, fill it out, get us back, get it back to us, uh, and then we can count that ballot. We also ask the Franklin County Board of Elections what they're doing to make sure every voter knows about these changes. We will certainly be uh, aggressively uh, out on our social media sites, our websites, I explaining to voters um, the, the, the changes to the laws. Our poll workers, you know, we're certainly we're in the process now of reviewing all of our uh, uh, training data materials that we sit, that we do, uh, train to our poll workers. And there's quite a few things that are in there that we're having to update. Uh, so, so it's a busy time. Um, but, you know, as in past elections, if somebody goes to the polls, um, certainly we're not going to turn them down uh, if they don't have the proper identification. Um, you know, if certainly if, if they want to go back to get the proper identification that they would need, or um, they would simply uh, cast a provisional ballot uh, at that location. They anticipate getting more direction from the Secretary of State in the coming weeks. While we honor Black History Month, Black men and women are leading the charge to make sure history isn't forgotten in Ohio schools. U.S. Representative Joyce Beatty, who represents the 3rd District, spoke a little about that challenge this week. Right now, black history is under attack. And when black history is under attack, American history is under attack. And we are here. Black history and education has been hotly debated since Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis threatened to ban a specific AP course on African American studies in his state. Let's take a look at what Congresswoman Beatty is proposing. The Black History is American History Act would require schools that get funding from the presidential and congressional academies to include black history as part of the American history and civics courses. It would also promote the use of education resources offered by the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And it encourages the inclusion of black history on tests. 
She was once the most powerful woman in Ohio, and now she's sharing her experiences with the hopes of uplifting others. We're talking about retired Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, who joined the Columbus Metropolitan Club. O'Connor stepped down in December, ending her term as the first Chief Justice to retire from the office. She took several questions that afternoon, including one from the crowd about supporting women in their careers. Well, I think it's, you know, very important for women who have attained whatever level, uh, you know, of elected office, and not just the judiciary, but elected office, to reach back and, you know, with a helping hand and, and you know, bring someone along. Um, you know, identify someone on your staff uh, that, you know, you think would be, you know, su- suited with mentoring. O'Connor was the first woman to lead the state judicial branch of government and was the longest serving statewide elected woman in Ohio history. It's been one month since Senator J.D. Vance took the oath of office in Washington, D.C. We checked in with him to see how things have been going. I've enjoyed myself. I've certainly tried to get my, my hands involved in a number of p- different issues from uh, funding overseas military adventures to uh, this, this new piece of legislation I in- introduced to try to make it harder to steal catalytic converters. But there, there are a lot of problems that we have. And, and the thing I try to remind myself is the Senate is not just a debating society. They don't, the, the people of Ohio don't expect me to come here, sit on my hands and complain about the problems. They actually expect me to do something about them. And that's what I'm trying to do. We thank you for joining us for Face the State today, and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS10TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. You want to feel important. You want to be a part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. Opening a My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal record and interactive tools tailored for you. You can see if you are eligible to receive benefits, view spousal benefit estimates, and compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates when you want to start receiving benefits. Already receiving benefits? Use your account to change your address, set up or change direct deposit, get a proof of income letter, and more. In most states, you can also request a replacement Social Security card. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. This is a St. Jude moment. Ashton was a high-level athlete, and in a, an instant, your world flips, and your healthy five-year-old competitive cheerleader has a brain tumor. And the physician was like, your best option is St. Jude. Receiving treatment that was life-saving for our child and knowing that that treatment would be of no cost to us was a huge weight lifted. Learn more at stjude.org. 
How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit BeforeYouBet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me... Derek Longmire, who is the Executive Director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How about yourself? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, What is the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio? We are a statewide nonprofit organization that's dedicated to building a network of support for those impacted by gambling, and we do that through collaboration, education, and research. We as an organization are not for or against gambling. We just want to make sure that gambling help is available to those who need it. And we advocate when we look at expanded gambling in the state to make sure that those consumer protections are built into, built into that legislation. Are you a state agency or state funded or how does that work? Uh, the majority of our funding comes through the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, uh, but we are a standalone nonprofit. Okay. And so when I say to you, sports betting has begun in Ohio, what pops into your head when I say that? Wow. Um, As we look at sports betting, it's something that we certainly knew was coming. We've seen the majority of states in the nation now pass sports betting. Um, The wow reaction that I get is just the the depth and breadth of sports betting that's coming to Ohio. This is the largest expansion of gambling Ohio has ever seen. And this is the largest single-day introduction to sports betting any state has ever done. So this is a whole lot of sports betting all at one time, and that can make consumers really confused and uh, lead to problems down the road. And because it's sports, you know, it's kind of like a new form of candy, but also it's uh, now available on your phone. And that is a whole new element of gambling that we just have never seen before in the state. So not only can you do your sports betting at the casinos and racinos, there will be opportunities to sports bet at your um, area um, professional sporting leagues um, and stadiums. And then also, as you mentioned, the mobile element. So now 24-7, you have up to 20 plus different sports betting sites that you'll be able to download and engage with at any moment throughout the day or the night. And I guess uh, once it's completely up and running, there's going to be something like 1,500 kiosks at bars and bowling alleys and grocery stores all over the state, right? And, yes. In addition to the um, brick and mortars at the um, the casinos, racinos, and professional sports leagues, and the mobile sports betting, then the third element is also kiosks that will be available at bars, restaurants, bowling alleys, and even your local grocery stores. So it looks like for some of those, the the rollout of that didn't hit the universal start date of January 1st, uh, but expect, especially for the grocery stores, it looks like with Giant Eagle and Kroger, that it's going to be coming sometime this spring. Is there a particular type of person that you're most concerned about? Well, we know based on our um, statewide gambling surveys that those who tend to be most at risk for developing a gambling problem are individuals that are 18 to 25 years old. And as we look at those who also tend to bet on sports, they also hit that demographic. So we're really worried for two reasons. Uh, one being just the, they're already at risk for all forms of gambling, 
Uh, but then for whatever reason specific to sports betting, that risk tends to be higher. So in the most recent survey that we conducted, for all forms of gambling, Ohioans, about one in 10 Ohioans were at risk for developing a gambling problem. As we look at sports betting, that went from about one in four uh, to, or I'm sorry, about from one in 10 to about one in four. So about 10% to 25%, which is up there with casino style gambling being slot machines in the video lottery terminals. And for folks who maybe are not big on casinos and, you know, being around a lot of people and a lot of noise and lights and bells and all that, but who maybe play the lottery, this is, you know, a little bit more laid back perhaps like that. But this also has uh, an element of a know-it-all element to it. Like, I I can win this. I I know who's going to win this football game coming up this weekend. So I'd be stupid not to place a bet. I mean, does that sort of mentality work its way into this? I think absolutely it does. And uh, we are a very sports oriented state and uh, I went to Ohio state and love those Buckeyes. And we know that our team's going to win. And we saw that even though we know our team's going to win, sometimes they don't. (laughs) And that can really skew our, our beliefs and opinions of how things are going to work out, which may lead to losing a lot of money. Talking with Derek Longmire. He's the executive director of the problem gambling network of Ohio. Women are big uh, sports fans these days, too. Uh, are they uh, prone to this? Are you concerned about that? We look at um, providing resources and support equally to men and women. In fact, in our statewide survey, uh, it showed that men and women were about equally at risk for developing a gambling problem. However, specific to sports betting, it tend to scale to skew more male than female, but certainly an area of concern. So as this ramps up, what should uh, folks who might be concerned about a loved one or a family member getting too deep into this, what what should they be looking for? The the first step is really just be good, good listeners. Uh, When we look at gambling and problematic gambling, we call it the silent addiction because it's one that can really fly under the radar for a really long time. We as a culture and society don't like to talk about money, so there's ways to kind of hide that until it's too late. Uh, So first, just being mindful of that. And if as you're doing that listening and if people are talking about seemingly being preoccupied with gambling or that's the only one only topic they want to talk about, then that can be warning signs too. Uh, for individuals, um, also just being mindful of setting limits. As I mentioned at the start, we at Prom Gambling Network of Ohio, we're not opposed to gambling. We just want to make sure that those who gamble are doing so in a way that's as low risk as possible. And that really starts with setting limits and setting limits in terms of the amount of dollars you're going to spend. Uh, So really focusing on those entertainment dollars that you can afford to lose, as well as your time limit. Because we know even if you have seemingly unlimited dollars, um, that time element is important as well. Because if you're spending all your time gambling, then that's going to be less time that you're going to be spending with your friends, family, and with your um, work or other responsibilities that you have. Unfortunately, there's a high-profile former Buckeye who got so mired into gambling addiction that uh, it wrecked his life, spent time in prison, has been in and out of prison. Those are, I guess, uh, extreme cases, but inevitably what you're worried about could happen to folks, right? Well, these are extreme cases in the fact that he was high-profile, but that type of situation happens all the time. It's not going to be your pro football player. It's going to be your cashier that's checking you out at Kroger, or it's going to be um, your your sister who works at the bank. So these high-profile things come up as high-profile just because of notoriety. Um, but gambling problems persist for all communities everywhere, and it's really important to recognize what some of those risks are 
and also know that help and hope are available. And I believe that those who are mired in a gambling addiction are at a higher risk than some of the other addictions for suicide. Is that right? Yes. So uh, unfortunately, disordered gambling has the highest link to suicide than any other addiction. And a lot of that just goes back to the, the secrecy element that I can hide it for a really long time. And I'm at a point where I'm going to lose my, my place where I'm staying. My car is going to be gone. I may have cashed out whatever uh, retirement funds that I have. There may be nothing left financially. So then that may look like there's no hope available. And unfortunately, um, suicide seems to be, uh, for some, the, the path that they take. And that's where it's so important to recognize that resources are available in Ohio, wherever you're at with the state. If you can't afford them, free resources are available as well. And the first step is really just calling the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline. And that number is 800-589-9966. Specialists are available day and night to help provide resources and support and hopefully an element of hope as well to um, really let people know that they're cared about, they're valuable, and that there is another side to the challenges that they're seeing. Talking with Derek Longmire, the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. So if somebody calls that line, and if the first thing they say is, my, my life is going down the tubes, I am unbelievably in debt, uh, my family has either found out about it or about to find out about it, I'm at my wit's end, what do I do? What happens from there? So it really depends on the, the area and inversion of the call. So uh, individual calls the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline. The specialists uh, receive that call. And one of the first things that they do is that lethality assessment because we know how important it is to first take care of your, your mental health crisis. So if gambling is leading to your suicidal ideations, then we want to make sure that first you get in a safe space. Uh, so they do that lethality assessment uh, once they determine that the individual uh, is not suicidal, then really working through resources that are available. Some of those resources might be related to finances. Others might related to be family dynamics. In fact, those are the two reasons that people use the, they call the helpline. Every month we get uh, reports from the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline, and every single month the two primary reasons that people call is because of fi financial issues and because of family problems. So recognize that this just isn't a problem that happens at individual uh, but there's um, kind of that ripple effect that impacts that family and their larger community. So eventually, are they hooked up with uh, a facility or therapy, counseling, or what? Yeah, if that's what they're looking for. So that's another important aspect. As we're looking at the help that's available through the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline and those resources, counseling can be one element of that. It could also be um, self-help groups that like Gamblers Anonymous. So it really depends on what that individual is looking for, what they're ready for, and what what think what they think would be the right path for them. So there are many elements that kind of fit into a journey for recovery. Certainly counseling is one that we recommend, and we have um, treatment sites across the state that can provide that help. Um, if they're, that individual is calling Monday through Friday during normal business hours, then they can be linked with that local treatment provider right then through a warm transfer. If they're calling during those off hours times, then we have counselors on staff here that can kind of help um, triage the situation and go through a little bit more detail about what resources are available to make sure that they're in a good place until that counseling center can open that next day or on that Monday if it's a weekend. The final element then is those self-help groups and making those connections with Gamblers Anonymous 
and, and start getting in a group and, and finding a, a community of others that are experiencing similar challenges. And from what I understand, if there is uh, further treatment needed that the profits from gambling, some of that is set aside to actually pay that for these folks, right? Yes, 2% of casino tax revenue, one half percent from the video lottery terminal revenue, and 2% for um, sports gaming revenue all get um, dedicated to a fund to provide prevention and treatment resources to Ohio, which is very unique. Um, Other states are much less funded and supported than we are. And that's why we're referred to as the Ohio model or what other Ohio or what other states should do in order to create an infrastructure of support uh, for those who need it within their state. That's outstanding. Derek Longmire joining us. He's the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. You also have uh, a quiz online or a survey that folks can take to, to determine their level of, uh, of addiction, correct? We do. And that fits into our pause before you play campaign. Because we want to make sure that, especially with all the advertising and all the messaging that we're seeing right now, it can be a little overwhelming. So the first step is just to pause before you play. And there's resources available at pausebeforeyouplay.org, and they can go check that out. Um, make sure you have a game plan kind of going into what your sports betting is going to look like, as well as the quiz that's there so you can really assess your relationship with gambling. Because we know that it can be one of those things where – it starts out being fun and then maybe a little less fun. So the quiz is just an easy 10-question way uh, to get a sense as to where you are. And depending on uh, what, what you answer, then different resources and, and suggestions are provided. Ohio is getting into this a little bit later than some of the other states. Uh, Indiana, for example, has been doing it for a couple of years now, I think, with the online uh, mobile betting. Is that helpful in, in the way that the state approaches this or what to expect? It was certainly helpful learning from other states and how we were able to know what to ask for and what to expect. And because of that, we have a couple unique things that are here in Ohio that aren't included in most, most legislation within other states. One of those elements is being data collection. So in Ohio, Ohio colleges and universities have the opportunity to analyze sports betting data. Now, it's all anonymized. So we don't know that individual's name, uh, but they get the general demographic information to do a lot of that research. Another big element that's different from Ohio is that in Ohio, it is prohibited for sports betting companies to advertise on college or university campuses. And I'm not aware of any other state in the nation that has that. So those are two important elements that we saw critical to including to have a really good sense as to what the impact of gambling is going to be and being able to measure that as well as making sure that sports betting is really only dedicated towards of-age markets and aren't using um, underage people as a, a, a breeding ground to have problem, problematic gamblers down the road. What's your thought about casual sports betting? Is there anything wrong with that? We know that the majority of Ohioans who gamble on sports are not going to have a problem. And we say if that's your way to spend your entertainment dollars, then please spend your entertainment dollars that way. Uh, we certainly don't have any issue with that. Well, we just want to make sure that uh, Ohioans know the difference between kind of that casual betting of I'm going out with my friends or I'm watching the game and I'm going to put $10 on on the, the Buckeyes to win um, looks very differently than I'm going to consider myself a professional gambler and um, because I've been following sports for so long or I just know my team's going to win because I've got that feeling in my gut. So I spend all my rent money on it. So they're just being really mindful of um, 
setting those limits, sticking to those limits, as well as recognizing those risks. So if you start losing, um, not spending more money to, to kind of get back those losses, so that's called chasing. So um, just being really mindful of what that impact can be. And odds are you're going to lose, but it's the, the fun and excitement that comes into that when you win. Uh, this should be the focus, not the, the intent or hope to make money. That really is the mindset people should take is that these bets would not be offered to anybody if the people behind them were not winning most of the time. That's what I like to say with the casinos and racinos. Beautiful buildings are not um, built on winners. They're built on those who who lost. And that's just the reality of the game. And hopefully while you're there, you're having a good time. And I look at it similarly to watching a movie. You can spend your $15 or whatever to go into a movie. And you might see an awesome movie and think that's a really great investment of those $15. Or you see a terrible movie and you're like, well, I just wasted that $15. So just really keeping it within that entertainment mind frame then that's really the the best approach when we're, we're looking at gambling. It's a good way to look at it. What about folks who got caught up in the opioid crisis? Are they more prone to this sort of addiction? Uh, there is a lot of correlation between substance use and mental health disorders and gambling. And that's why it's so critical to really treat the whole person as they're looking at not just addressing that opiate use disorder or um, that mental health disorder, but really looking at that, the whole person and those core issues, because it can be really challenging to just focus on that one, and that's where gambling might pop up. Or if we're focusing on gambling, then compulsive shopping might pop up. So um, that's really part of a comprehensive treatment plan that's so important, and why it's also important to have individuals that are providing treatment services that are qualified to treat gambling, because there are nuances related to gambling that are different than substance use disorder and, and mental health disorders. So that's where that additional specificity is necessary. If somebody runs into a problem with this sports betting early on, and if they get help early on, is the chance that they will be able to recover from that and turn away from it better than if they do it for you know two years or five years or however long before they stop? It goes back to that old adage of a stitch in time saves nine. So the earlier we can start getting people help, uh, really starting really with the, the very first element of pause before you play and getting set before you begin to play. Uh, so the earliest we can start an intervention and get people the help and resources that they need at the level of readiness and need that they have, the better off they're going to be long-term. And so it's really critical to, to recognize that, that it's never too late to ask for help and it's never too early to help ask for help either. And that's where we work closely with our casino and racino partners because when people come to our door, that means that there's a lot of gambling that's been happening potentially um, and a lot of doors or opportunities for them to have gotten help where they haven't. So we work closely with our casino and racing partners so they can really act as those first responders for folks who are having problems. And then they can provide those links to resources to our local treatment centers throughout the state because that's, that's where they can have those interactions, relationships. Those, they know those patrons far better than we do and can help just direct them to resources more quickly than if they have to kind of go it alone and find us when they're really in trouble. Talking with Derek Longmire, the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? Well, as we mentioned before, always um, pausebeforeyouplay.org is the best place to go as you're getting ready for sports betting. And then finally, if you gamble, get set before you bet uh, is kind of the, the larger campaign from that. And then the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline, 
589-9966, monitored 24-7-365. And we also have gamblinghealthohio.org where you can go to find local treatment resources for you. So a lot of great information in Ohio and know that if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, people care, help is available, help is available. Reach out now. We want to see you. Derek, thanks so much for the information and your time today. Sure appreciate it. My pleasure. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS-FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.